Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and I'm delighted to say that Gretchen Rubin returns to the podcast in this episode. Gretchen is one of the most influential writers right now on the subjects of happiness, habits, and human nature, and her books include The Happiness Project, Better Than Before, Happier at Home, and The Four Tendencies, the book we spoke about in detail last time we chatted on this podcast. She is also a fellow podcaster. Her podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which she co-hosts with her sister Elizabeth Craft, discusses all things happiness and good habits and is a must-listen if you want great company. The sisters are so lovely to have in your ears. And also pick up really useful tips and tricks for making life easier and happier. She joins me again to talk about her new book, Out of Order in a Calm, which is described thus. In the context of a happy life, a messy desk or a crowded wardrobe is a trivial problem. Yet Gretchen has found that getting control of our stuff makes us feel more in control of our lives. And I heartily agree. The current trend for cleanliness, decluttering and organisation is pretty unavoidable, let's face it. Marie Kondo has become a household name and the idea of living in zen-like, categorised, functional yet aesthetically pleasing way has become as pursued right now as green smoothies were a few years ago. Hands up if you have a Nutribullet Vitamix or smoothie maker in your home. <clears throat> Guilty. What's so pleasing about Gretchen's take on this idea in Outer Order in a Calm is she's not trying to make you someone you're not. The cornerstone of the book is what makes you happy. And once you know that, you can affect the world around you. In this case, in respect to the spaces we live and work in. I read the book and was air grabbing and chuckling with the 150 clutter clearing ideas and tips. And if you're a regular listener to the show... Hi, hi there if you are, it's great to have you back. Then you'll know I did a very big wardrobe clear out as part of 26 Habits in 2018. And what started as a way of making my wardrobe neater and more functional turned into a really quite profound exercise in my emotional attachment to things, both positive and negative, and much more. And once I completed that, I started to apply the same logic to other parts of my home and my life. And I do feel that that was a very important exercise that I did and the benefits I feel every single day. There we go. In this conversation, we talk about why outer order is so important, how it impacts on a feeling of inner calm and how on earth we begin to start the process and some of her really interesting insights about having applied it to her own life and to the lives of others and her friends. All links to the book, Gretchen, her podcast, the previous episode we did together will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode. I'm honestly so pleased to have her back. We did this episode via Skype. Last time we recorded it was face-to-face when Gretchen was visiting London. So you may hear that it sounds slightly different from the usual show because she was in New York and I was in London. But here she is making her return to the Emma Grand Show. It's Gretchen Rubin. So welcome back to the Emma Gunn Show. I'm delighted to be speaking to you again. I'm so happy to be talking to you. <laughs> um, you have this new book out, because, and the reason why I want to dive straight into it is because you know I am a big fan of The Four Tendencies and An Obliger. Ah, <laughs> yes. 
Yes. And I was trying to sum up to a friend of mine last night. I was saying, oh, I was having Gretchen back on the show. And I was saying the thing about her books is that she offers you a perspective, whether it's on you and the four tendencies or on how you organize your life in outer order, inner calm, that is helpful and allows you to move forward positively. Oh, well, that's so nice to hear. That's what I try to do. It's good to hear it. <laughs> you feel like it works for you. Wonderful. Yeah. And I guess before we get into it, I just wanted to, obviously listeners may have heard you on the show before. You have been on before. But really, I think, would you think, would you say it's fair to say that your area of, area of interest is human nature, who we are, what we do and why we do the things that we do? Absolutely. That is absolutely my my focus. And then I think from there, I'm also very interested in, given that, how do we change when we want to change? Mm-hmm. Because often that's where we are thinking about human nature, our own nature, is we're like, why the heck can't I do this thing that I want to do? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, um, why does this come easily and something else is difficult? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're all we're all just trying to improve, hopefully, or yeah. move forward in some way. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things that I see all the time is that people get discouraged, or they feel bad, or they uh, they think, "Oh, there's something wrong with me. Everybody else can do this. Why can't I?" And it's sort of what I see is there is no magic one size fits all solution. There's nothing that works for everyone. There's no best way. There's no most efficient way. There's no right way. It's all what works for us as individuals. And Mm -hmm. so it's, instead of saying everybody should get up early and exercise before work, it's better to say, well, are you a morning person or a night person? Because if you're a night person, that's not going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might be really hard for you, not because of the exercise part, because you just can't get up early. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to achieve our aims. Um, once we know the first step is like, well, what would make you happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. But then once you figure that out, it's like, okay, now how do you get there? Mm. Different ways work for different people. And I think that's, what's, what's really nice that always comes across in your books is, um, for, for example, with the new one, everyone's outer order will look different and that's completely fine. It really is about the individual. Well, absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, like, for instance, there are simplicity lovers and abundance lovers and simplicity lovers are people like me. Like we like bear counters and nothing on the coffee table and, you know, not much on the walls and just, you know, quiet and simplicity. And then there are abundance lovers and they like collections and profusions and a lot of stuff going on. And so what to me might feel like overwhelming to somebody else feels very appropriate and abundant. And to me, what feels right to me to them could feel a little bit sterile and stripped because Mm -hmm. they're like, you know, um, and it's fine that we want different environments, but you get into situations where like, I'm your boss. And I say "A, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. We have to have a clean desk policy here. It's like, well, that's not what everybody wants. Mm -hmm. Um, not everybody wants a capsule wardrobe. Some people do, and they find it wonderful and freeing. Mm -hmm. Some people want a lot of clothes. They like the choice. They like having a lot of options. They like having them around. Um, so yeah, I think, wait, it's funny because people also say like, well, what does your house look like? What does your office look like? (laughs) And the fact is, you know, some people with outer order, they want to get to that super like Instagrammable thing where like, all the jars match and all the labels are printed out and all the hangers match. And they really want that very kind of highly 
aesthetically advanced look. And I'm like, I just want to get the junk out of my way. I don't care if the jar, <laughs> you know, I just don't want, um, like a, a, a jar of stale almonds that no one's going to eat. Cause I haven't noticed it, that it's been there for five years, but I, you know, I just want to get rid of the stuff I don't need, don't use, don't love, but it doesn't have to look great. Um, where some people, they really want to get to that place where everything really matches. Mm. I think what I've taken from your books is, uh, and particularly this one is, it's about um, understanding what will make you feel good. So if if, yes. you, if you like a cluttered kitchen, great. If you like a tidy bedroom, awesome. Well, it's interesting. I wouldn't use the word clutter because to me, clutter su- suggests that there's yes. stuff you don't need, don't use, don't love. You might like a kitchen with a lot going on. Like I went over to a friend's house and on their counter, they had a bagel slicer, a fancy jar of olive oil, a pepper mill, uh, a jar of wooden spoons, a spoon rest, a bottle of pain reliever. And to me, that looks cluttered. I'm like, why don't you put all this stuff away? And they're like, and, and, and he was like, I like having this stuff out. I like having it at the ready. It's all arranged so I know exactly where to find what I want. So it wasn't cluttered because it was all mindfully mm-hmm. put there and exactly the way he wanted it. So that to me is not clutter. It's busy. It's not what I would like because I like, I like put everything away. You know, that would drive me crazy. But clutter is like, oh, you know, um, I don't know where this thing, I don't know where to put the can opener, so I'm just going to leave it out on the can. You know, we don't even use a can opener. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, we had two garlic presses in our kitchen. First of all, I gave away one, gave away one garlic press because I'm like, we don't need two. We only need one. And then I'm like, we don't even need one. We never use it. That's clutter. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we've got quite a bit to talk about clutter to come up. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, so it's a topic I find very interesting right now. But there we go. But I think uh, right at the beginning of the new book, you say, in my study of happiness, I've realized that for most of us, outer order contributes to inner calm. And I think there's obviously, um, it's been quite topical recently, actually, that the idea of tidiness um, yeah. in your home and tidiness in one's mind. And you've explored the topic of happiness more than anyone else I've ever spoken to, Gretchen. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wonder how you, when you started to see those, those things slot together, when, that start, when you began to make that conclusion. Well, you know, ever since I wrote The Happiness Project, you know, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and, and as you see, I've been talking to people and reading and writing about happiness for such a long time. Um, it's always puzzled me and intrigued me how we seem to get this disproportionate boost from creating outer order. Because we can all agree that in the context of a happy life, something like a crowded coat closet or a messy desk is trivial. And yet over and over, people would tell me that they would just feel great. They would feel so exhilarated um, when they created outer order. And, you know, that, and I certainly feel this way too, that when we get control, control over the stuff in our lives, we feel more in control of our lives generally. And, and, and kind of to a disproportionate degree, like the other, not long ago, I cleaned out my utility closet. It's just like one of these things where it never occurred to me, like, I should clean out my utility closet. For like the next two weeks, I would go out of my way to just look at the utility closet. I'm like, this looks great, you know? And it's like, why am I getting this kind of energy and this sense of kind of cheer and a boost uh, sometimes when I'm feeling blue, I'll clear clutter because I, th- I feel that it's calming and just seeing order emerge. It's just, it's, it's, it, and the thing is, it's, it's bigger, it's a bigger hit than you think you should get. You're like, why does my coat closet matter so much to my overall sense of my life? Because clearly it's not a big deal. 
it's just that people really do feel like there's this connection between outer order and inner calm. Mm, yeah. And it's as well, things like it saves time, it saves money. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. I don't know about in the UK, but in the US, um, research suggests that the American, the average American adult spends 55 minutes a day looking for misplaced items. I mean, think of what you could do with 55 minutes a day. So just knowing where your keys are, and then let alone, you know, the kind of errands where it's like, you know that you have a hammer, but you can't find it. So you have to go, you have to like go out to the hardware store, get a hammer. And now you have two hammers, which you don't even want. Um, so yeah, it just makes daily. And then, you know, it's, we, I think a lot of people experience this with clothes. It's interesting to me because, uh, um, I am kind of a happiness bully, so I will be sort of insistent if I think there's an opportunity for you to be happier. So I often beg my friends to let me help them clear out their closets and clear their clutter. And one thing is, when you take out all the things you don't need, don't use, don't love, which is my test, you feel like you have more clothes because everything works. Everything fits. Everything is something that you like. And so it's quicker and easier and also more pleasant mm. to pick out an outfit because you're not fighting your way through a bunch of junk that um, isn't, isn't suitable. I did a last, last summer, I did a complete wardrobe clear out and I just took out everything apart from what I wear, which is jeans, white t-shirt, gray t-shirt, black t-shirt, and then jumpers in winter. And every morning is a breeze and it's so easy. (laughs) So how much stuff did you get rid of? So much. So much. You talk about happiness bully. I had dresses in my closet that were bullying me from the hangar. Because they were like, yes. ha ha, you don't fit anymore. <laughs> yes. No, that's a big thing is like our possessions can give, make us feel bad. Because mm. other like they remind us of, you know, like, uh, you know, this doesn't fit. Or I was going to learn to play guitar, but I never have. And I'm not really going to, but I have this guitar. Or it's like a fantasy self. Like I had a pair of leather pants. I'm like, what am I thinking? Why did I buy these? Like get get them off the shelf and off my conscience. I totally agree. Um, but it is interesting, I'll say. So um, I have a podcast, the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast, and my co-host is my sister Elizabeth. And one thing about Elizabeth is she is truly clutter blind. And there are this small number of people who are clutter blind and they don't see clutter. It doesn't drain them. It doesn't overwhelm them. They just sort of almost don't even register it. I mean, I think on balance, they kind of like it if things are more orderly, but they don't really care. Um, you know, Elizabeth wouldn't close a kitchen cabinet door ever, you know, if she lived by herself, she just doesn't, it doesn't, I'm like, how can you live like this? I like, I just run around and close all her cabinets and it's like, you know, piles of unopened mail. I'm like, I, why, why? And she's just like, oh, oh, I didn't even notice that. You know, she's clutterblind. Does she just like things? Do you think it's a case of just liking to go back to things and find them as you left them? I don't even think it's that. I just think, I think it's just, it's just not even worth it to her. So she just puts something down and walks away from it, you know, and then when she needs it, she just goes and finds it. She's not particularly, like, for me, for some reason, and I don't know about you, but I find it very annoying to not be able to find something. Like, I think I have kind of an irrational annoyance at, like, I can't find my headphones, or I can't Mm. find my passport, or I can't, well, your passport is a super big concern. I always know where my passport is. (laughs) But, you know, like, I like feeling like, I know where AAA batteries are. I know where to find a three-hole punch. Like, where is my one inch binder? Like, I really like that feeling of knowing where every single thing in my house mm-hmm. is. Um, and Elizabeth isn't really like that. Like it doesn't bother her as much. And she, and she's visually not, not distressed by it. Like walking into a kitchen where everything is sort of in disarray, 
It just doesn't bother her. Or having her closet messy. Like her husband is neat and he doesn't like, like they have closets that don't have doors. And when she did a house resident renovation, I was like, uh, as a happiness bully, I have to say, I think you should have a door on your closet because it really bothers your husband to see how messy your closet is. And she's like, it's super, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you do a renovation and like the weirdest things are super, super expensive. And she's like, it turns out it's going to be super expensive for us to have closet doors. So I'm just going to keep my closet neat. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Let's let, okay. If you think that's the right approach. Um, so she tries to keep it neat cause it bugs him to see a closet that's messy. But she doesn't really care. Mm. And it, I just, I, I kind of can't, I'm still baffled by that because to me it really does matter. And I think for most people it does matter, but there is this small number of people where they will do it because you care, mm. but they don't really feel it themselves. Mm. I think when I did my wardrobe clear out last year, and the thing I wanted to ask you about, because I am interested in this opinion, is that I have, um, I guess, always just accumulated. Just I've bought things, I've bought clothes, I've kept them. I've thrown things out if they've uh, broken or whatever. Yes. And then when I did the clear out, I realized that you don't have to keep things. Interesting. So your, your default was just to accumulate. Every, things were coming in, but they weren't going out. Yeah, I guess. And I don't know whether that's because I'm such a consumerist or the the age that we're living in. But it just, if you buy something, you kind of wearing it to death or, well, you never know when you might need it. And that sense of, oh, I don't want to let it go because what if I need it and then I don't have it? I'm also somebody who packs a 30 kilogram case to go on a one week holiday. So yeah. it's just, it's just a personality trait. But actually doing that clear out has made me has completely changed me. And I've just thought, no, if you're not useful to me anymore, then please go (laughs) find a new And so have you been able to kind of maintain sort of a circulating thing where you're constantly sort of in the back of your mind evaluating things? Like, so you did like a big, you did a big undertaking, Mm. but like now that you've, it's easier to keep up than to catch up. So you Mm. caught up, Mm. You, you did it kind of reset your baseline. Now, do you kind of do it little by little and say like, oh, here's a couple things or here's five books or here's a couple shirts or do you sort of wait and then do another big wave through? It's a wait and do. Well, the interesting thing is it started off in the wardrobe, then it went to the kitchen drawers and then the kitchen cupboards and then my office. So every single aspect of my life has kind of had this domino effect. Yeah, but it was. But the the main thing was, um, and I know you talk about it in the book, was changing my emotional relationship with the things that I had previously purchased or been given, or my my belongings essentially. And I know that when we talk about clutter in the book, when you talk about clutter in the book, you actually talk about how actually clearing clutter can be quite a challenging thing for people to do, yes. because of similar things really, this yes. emotional connection. Yes. Well, there, there's so many versions of that. I mean, one is I paid good money for this. I don't want to not, I'm not, I haven't used it sufficiently to justify the, what I spent. Um, there's the emotion of like, this was tied to a really important part of my life. And so I want to keep it because, uh, I want that memory. Another is kind of the sense of regret. Like I used to be able to fit into this if I give it away now, am I acknowledging that I will never fit into that size again? If I hang on to it, it's sort of holding open the opportunity, the possibility that one day mm. I will wear it again. If I get rid of it, maybe, am I saying that I'll never 
like I'll never be that size again, Mm. which for many people is very painful. Um, or it's like everything associated with this person is important. Every, every item of clothing that my daughter wore is important to me. Mm. Everything is like precious because it's associated with her or someone's gone. And I need to keep everything that my mother gave me because now my mother's gone. And so I want to keep these things that are like relics of her. All these emotions have to be managed Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, sometimes people who write in this area or talk in this area are sort of like, this isn't important. This is the past. Let it all go. Make room for the future. Like stuff isn't important to me. I'm like, that's not the common experience of mankind. We do have emotions about our possessions. They do remind us of people and places and activities that we love. We use them to project our identity into our environment. Like, to me, it's much better to, like, really kind of grapple with that emotion and to think about, to think it through and then to let go of something mindfully rather than to say, okay, just shut your eyes and throw it all away and and and, and just, like, deal with it. Because mm-hmm. um, if your mother's died... Like, how do you think about how to use possessions to keep your mother's presence near you? Or if you do feel sad because these clothes don't fit anymore, how do you let go of them in a way that holds open the po- the possibility that your life, you, you know, you could change your body if you wanted to, you know, um, but it, to me, it feels like it's a little bit more work, but it's much more satisfying. And in the end, uh, a much more peaceful process. Mm. If somebody... Um, other than getting your book, which I highly recommend because it's a great read. Um, if somebody wanted to start with the decluttering process mm. or thought, actually, I think I might have accumulated stuff that I yeah. don't need. Wh- yeah. Where would you advise they start? Well, I would say don't start by saying I'm going to get organized <laughs> because a lot of people are like, I'm going to get organized. They run out to the store and they get like complicated hangers or, you know, you know, elaborate sets of containers, binders, things like that filing cabinets. And, but what, what happens is if you get rid of everything that's just sort of clogging your system, you may not need to get organized. Like I was talking to a guy who had this elaborate plan for how he was going to put, uh, deal with all his paperwork. And then he realized that most of his paperwork was actually related to pet insurance of all things. And then he didn't need to keep any of it because it was all online. And so instead of like organizing it, he's just like, do I really need it? No. So get rid of it. And then that's the question of like, okay, well, how do you decide what to keep and what to relinquish? And I think the best test for me um, is, do I love it? Do I use it? Do I need it? Because if you don't love it, use it or need it, why do you have it? Like he didn't love his pet insurance information. He didn't need his pet insurance information and he didn't even use it so he can get rid of it. Um, And like the dress where you're like, oh my gosh, do I use this? Do I need this? Do I love this? No, I never wear this dress and it makes me feel bad every time I look at it. It's like, okay, we'll get rid of that thing. Um, So I feel like that's because sometimes we have things that we don't even really like, but they just serve a purpose. And you're like, eh, you know, this, this pair of scissors kind of, is kind of annoyingly heavy, but you know, is it worth going out and buying another pair of scissors? Not really. Like this is fine. Mm. You know, I'm like, okay, fine. Just keep that because you're using it. And I think as well, there's this uh, misconception or belief, perhaps, that if you begin to declutter or um, move towards getting organized or being tidy, whatever you want, however you want to describe it, that you're moving towards minimalism. But as we yes. said, that's not the, that's not really the case, yes. is it? Yes. No, 100 percent. I'm in because I do uh, I do force myself on my friends. So I was going over to a friend's house to help her clear her closet. And I mean, this is a person who has a lot of clothes. I mean, 
a lot of clothes. And, uh, and she looked at me very apprehensively and she said, I, I worry that you're going to make me give away too much. And I was like, absolutely not. I embrace the fact that you love clothes. You love choices. You want to have a lot of clothes. You have a lot more clothes than I would want because I don't like a lot of choices. That's what you like. That's what you want. But let's just get rid of the things you don't need, don't use, don't love. I think that there are things here you don't need, don't use, don't love. Are you going to be left with a massive closet? Yes, you are, because that's what you want. And so this idea of minimalism, like the idea we'd all be happier if we like, you know, had three shelves of books or that we'd all be happier if we only got down to a certain very basic level. I think for some people, absolutely, that's tremendous, a tremendous relief and very satisfying. But I just don't think that that's true for everyone. I mean, several people, I don't know if you've heard people say this, but sometimes people say, I loved being pregnant because I had so few clothes. It's like, I've got two dresses, I've got two pairs of pants, I got a pair of jeans, and like, that's it. And it was such a relief that I had no choices. But then some people are like, oh my gosh, I couldn't stand it. Like, here I was locked into this, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of those clothes fast enough. It's just people have different, we all have different preferences. We thrive in different environments. And I just feel like sometimes people feel like what they want is wrong or that it's um, even kind of shameful. It's like, well, why do I have all this stuff? There must be something wrong for me. Am I materialistic? I'm like, no. I mean, my own mother, like my mother is an abundance lover and her, everything in my parents' house is beautiful and well-chosen and beautifully arranged. And I love being there. I wouldn't create an environment like that for myself. But in a way, I feel like, is my mother's life richer in a way? Yes. You know, so I don't think I'm right and she's wrong because I have less stuff on my coffee table. Mm. What's interesting about the example with your friend and helping her with the wardrobe is that the fundamental thing there is that you said, I know you, but now yes. but now we just have to establish what you um, love, use, need. Um, but yes. I know your character, so I'm not going to use the yes. rules and strip you. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I respected the fact that she just said to me straight up front, like she knew, and she knew, I knew her and she knew me. She's like, (laughs) she wants, you know, I know what Gretchen has, you know. And so part of it, I think you just put your finger on the key thing. The essential thing is recognizing the individual and just saying like, let's talk about, to bring it back to how you started the conversation, let's talk about who you are and what you want and how we can get closer to that. Because when you have the environment that is what you want, that's what's going to make you happier. Now, what works for me that may not necessarily work for you. Like one of the things you said is it sounds like what you like to do or what works for you is to like do a big thing. Like I'm going to like look at everything in my closet and tackle it and like really dive in and get tons of bags out. And it's going to be like a big, a big um, kind of sprint of clutter clearing. And some people love that and find it really exciting and satisfying. You have the before and the after, and it's like, and it's intense. But then some people don't like to do things that way. They want to do a little bit at a time. Like, and they sort of feel like, well, if I can't carve out the afternoon to do it in this big dramatic way, then I'm, it's hopeless. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, you could also do just like one minute at a time, or you could do an hour at a time, or you could do every time you have 10 minutes before you have to leave the house, you could do one shelf and you could just chip away at it. Now for you, that might not be very appealing. You might like the more kind of dramatic, um, approach and that works great, but you can also do it a little bit at a time. We often overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time, like an afternoon or a weekend and underestimate what we could do if 
a little bit at a time if we do it consistently over the long term. Mm. If you did a little bit every day for six months, you would have dramatic change. Mm. And again, it's like you did it your way. Somebody else might do it a different way. It's not that one way is right and one way is wrong. It's just that this is the way that works really well for you. And um, that's great. Now you know that about yourself, but Mm. it's not necessarily going to be the guide for someone else. It's also tipped over into how I consume. And I wonder if you've noticed that Mm. with your friends when they maybe have felt maybe, I don't know, a heaviness of having a lot of stuff around them maybe that they were hanging on to and didn't realize they were hanging on to. And then they free themselves of it and they're sort of lighter and airier. And then they sort of consciously, when they go shopping perhaps, think, yeah, you know what, I don't need to buy that because I know I'm not going to wear it. And I know the consequences of having something in my home that I'm not going to wear. I know. It's so funny. That's absolutely true. Many people experience that. And you think it's kind of counterintuitive because you would think for a certain kind of person, if they have all this room in their closet or all this room in their shelves, they'd kind of be like, Ooh, great. Now I have license to fill it all up again. But I think the the kind of mindset shift that you're describing is much more common where people are sort of like, well, now that I have every, everything I have is something I need, use and love. I don't feel like I need that much more. And also I'm sort of like enjoying the space that I have. And so I see the value of the space and I don't feel like cluttering it up with a lot of sort of like, eh, you know, mediocre things. And so now I'm really, before I bring something in, I'm really going to weigh it and think, oh, wow. Now, something that some people do, I have to say this does not work for me, but some people do is like one in, one out. If you buy a book, you have to give away a book. If you buy a shirt, you have to get rid of a shirt. Um, And they feel like that kind of helps them maintain that equilibrium. Um, I, my, that doesn't work for me, but I think that that idea of how much do you want coming in, given that it's just so nice not to have to deal with it is something that, um, people often become much more attuned to. And I also think like when you can look at everything that you have, when you realize how many books you have that you haven't read yet, you don't feel as inclined to go out and buy more because you're like, oh my gosh, now that I see the stack of the books that I already own that I already really want to read, let me get to those because I'm excited about those now that they're in a neat pile and I can see them all. I think, oh, wow, I really do want to read those books. Um, yeah. That's one thing I, I, one of the pages that really jumped out at me when I was reading the book was getting, getting rid of things that are in our way. Um, you then have time, time for the things that you actually have. You, you engage yes. more with those things. Yes. It's funny. You're more engaged and you also feel like your life is more abundant in a, in a funny way. Like there, with less stuff, there's more of a feeling of abundance. Um, just like you with your closet. It's like you're like, I don't need to go out and like run out and just like pick up a few things. Like I like what I have. Mm. Um, you also talk in the book about overbuy, people who overbuy and people who underbuy which yes. I found incredibly interesting. Could you explain that for listeners? Now, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer yourself? Some people aren't either. I, I think I, well, I used to be an overbuyer. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think you can sort of shift uh, your approach when you're, when you're mindful about it. So overbuyers are people who, they tend to love to buy. They tend to like to prepare. So like winter's coming or, um, they're going on a trip and they tend to sort of like think, well, what could I possibly need? Let me go out and get those things. Uh, let me get ready in advance. Oh, I see a birthday present. I I see something that would make a wonderful birthday present for someone. I don't have somebody that needs a birthday present right now, but I'm just going to go ahead and get it. Mm -hmm. Um, and just hold on to it so that I have it. Um, 
And, and you can see how this could lead to clutter because they have all this stuff that they have to manage. Like they have to store it. They have to remember where it is. They have to find places to put it. Um, and often then these things don't even become necessary or, or need to be used. Like mm-hmm. you think, oh, well, I really want uh, a money belt when I go traveling. But then it turns out, yeah, you know what? I don't even really need a money belt. But now you've got a money belt. What are you going to do with it? Then underbuyers are people like me, and they don't like to shop. They don't like to buy. They will. They tend to like go to great lengths to avoid doing errands or buying things. They will wait too long. Like, I'll wait till the middle of winter to go out and buy mittens, even though I needed mittens months before. Or uh, they, I, we tend not to like specialized things. Like, I didn't like. I I, I only recently started really embracing facial tissue because I was always like, well, just blow your nose in toilet paper. Like we do not need to buy something special for that. Um, and then you might think that underbuyers would not have clutter because they don't like to buy, but what they have is they don't like to shop. So they hang on to everything because the idea that they might need something and have to go get it is so loathsome to them that they're like, I just need to hang on to everything that comes into my, into my space mm-hmm. because Sure, I haven't used this bread maker in five years, but what if two years from now I decide I want to make bread? Well, I better have that bread maker because there's no way I'm going to go out and buy a bread maker. So they need to remember, okay, you know, if you're really not using, needing, or loving something, you can let it go. And if ever you would need that, you know, you can handle dealing with that if the time comes. What about somebody who says, I want to let it go? but not permanently. What if somebody says, can I just put them in a halfway house so that if I change my mind in a few months, I can just get them out of storage or can you hold on to them for me? That is a great idea. That's a great idea because there's sort of this thing, well, there's the endowment effect, which is a psychological phenomenon where we endow our own possessions with more value. Um, So like if there was a bread maker in the store, I wouldn't buy it and I wouldn't even, I would have no feeling that I should have anything to do with it. But if I own it, I'm like, ooh, I better hang on to it. So there's the endowment effect and that can make it hard to let go of things. But I think, but so there are certain things you can do to loosen your grip on things. One thing is just if you, what I've noticed over and over, and maybe you experienced this during your massive clearing, is you go through and you get rid of everything. And then if you immediately... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba start at the beginning and go through it again, you will find more things. Because as you kind of in your mind are thinking, I'm letting things go, you start to see other things you can let go. And so often it's kind of a layered thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing is the kind of the kind of process that you're describing. If you're not sure about something and you're very worried that you'll regret it, if you put it in a box and like close the box and say, well, I'll leave this box here for six months. And then after six months, if I haven't gone in to get that thing, then I just know that I can give it away or I can, I can, you know, relinquish it in some manner because I'm not, I'm not thinking about it. I, it is, it isn't bothering me or I, I'm not discovering that I need it. Um, I do think there is this thing that happens to people. Um, and I didn't write about this in the book cause it's only recently I've put my finger on it. You know how the way they get people addicted to gambling is like you win one time and it feels so amazingly good that you're like, I'll do anything forever 
to get that feeling again. I think for people who hang on to a lot of stuff every once in a while, like once every five years, somebody's like, Hey, do we have a cord to a fax machine that was manufactured in 1993? And you're like, yes, we do. And here it is. And you pull it out of a box and everybody cheers. And you're like, that feels so amazing that I'm going to keep every single thing. You know, you have one pink shirt from 15 years ago. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I see a way now after 15 years of not wearing this shirt, I can now wear that shirt. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm amazing. And so you keep everything in the hopes that one day you will get that rush mm. of ecstasy that, but like in the meantime, you're living with 99.9% of this, like of that stuff you never use and you never need. And it's a big waste uh, of your, your time and your energy. And in the meantime, somebody else could have put those things to good use. Mm. Um, so I think you, it's something to think about, which is like, am I hanging on to it thinking, well, 10 years from now I could use it. It's like, okay, to me, you'd be better off running that risk. Mm. And speaking of getting rid of things, I wonder if you have any advice or insight into, because, because uh, obviously there are things that you can throw away, but I, my rule is always, if they're of you, no use to man or beast, but then donations and then giving to friends, et cetera, et cetera. Have you got any yeah. um, boundaries or uh, structure for how you pass things on in a useful manner? Well, so here's a very important, that's a great point. And the fact is, remember when you're bringing things in, whether you're buying things or maybe you're accepting freebies or gifts or swag or hand-me-downs, if you decide you want to get rid of that thing, it's not so easy to get rid of things. Um, you know, because if you're going to give it away, where are you going to give it? Like, it's not so easy to give things away. Um, and, uh, and it's actually a big problem. Um, because like, like thrift stores, well, some thrift stores won't take books. So then you got to find, well, what's a thrift store that'll take books? A lot of thrift stores won't take toys. And so then you're like, oh, I got all these toys. Where do I get them? So then you end up having to do research. You may think that something's valuable. Um, I don't know about in the UK, but one of the things they talk about in the U S is that, uh, people's tastes in furniture have changed. And so a lot of people in kind of midlife are inheriting things from parents who are dying or downsizing, um, which they don't want because they like, I don't want a big side table or I don't want a giant dining room table, or I don't want this big roll top desk. Um, and so then you're like, well, how do, what do I do with it? Well, it turns out it's not worth very much. It's really, really nice. It's good quality, but nobody wants it. So there's no market for it. So it's sometimes you have to pay people to take away things that you feel like are perfectly good. Mm. Um, so it's something to think about. Um, and you know, it's very different. It really, really depends on where you are because different communities have different resources. Like I was giving a talk in a place where the, their community had has like a food, has a clothing bank where they they have a whole system for helping people to get clothes for free who are you know uh, down on their luck and I was like well if I lived in this community I would take all my clothes here because they have this great system um, but not everybody has that mm. um, or like you know is there or my mother speaking of my mother my mother had all these like very very nice evening gowns well nobody really wears evening gowns anymore you can't like people like take it to a consignment shop consignment shops won't take ball gowns in a lot of places because nobody wants them so they can't sell them so what my mother figured out and I thought this was so clever 
Um, she called the theater department of a little college near where my parents live and said, would you like these for costumes? And they were like, absolutely. So then my mother took all these like really nice costumes to this theater company, but she had to use some ingenuity, you know, to give them away, but they were so beautiful. She's like, I don't, I want them to serve some purpose. That's not easy. And then even giving things away to friends, like sometimes you're trying to clear clutter. And I have a friend where her whole house is littered with like little piles. Like I'm giving this to this friend who has a daughter. My daughter is just like two years younger than my daughter. She'll love these hand-me-downs. And this friend loves to cook. So I'm giving her these cookbooks to see if she wants them because I don't use them. And I'm like, you're, this is so well-intentioned, but you've just created all of like, you need to man, you need to like get this done and get this stuff out of your house because you've got all these, like, it's going to, you know, I think it's, for most people, it's easier to have a few places that will take just about everything and Mm -hmm. give to those places rather than trying to optimize for, oh, this is the perfect recipient for this, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. What about, uh, we're all hugely aware about the environment and how not to be wasteful. What about worrying that you're just filling up landfill? Well, here is the sad fact. Because I hear that from people all the time. I don't want to. I don't want to clear clutter because I'm just going to add to the landfill. We add to the landfill the minute we take that stuff. The minute we buy it, the minute we accept it, that's when it's going to the landfill. It's going to the landfill tomorrow, or it's going to the landfill in 40 years when your children do a Swedish death cleaning on your house. That it, it, it's it it is the destiny of everything. Yeah. And so don't like it's staying in your closet is no different to the environment, you mm. know because. Um, so really, if that's your concern, you really want to just not buy it mm-hmm. and not and, and not take it, you know, because if you're taking, if you go to a conference, my own personal weakness is tote bags. I don't know why, but it's so hard for me to resist a tote bag. I literally gave a talk where I talked about how I couldn't resist a tote bag, but I had too many tote bags already. And as a thank you gift, they offered me a tote bag and I almost took it, even though I literally like 10 minutes before I've been talking about how I don't need any more tote bags because I love a tote bag. But the thing is, if I take a tote bag then they will order more tote bags. And then there's just more tote bags in the world. There's already enough tote bags in the world. Um, So I think we really have to cut it off on supply. Yes, very true. And also, um, as someone said to me as well, you know, if you keep hold of something and you've kept hold of it because you spent a bit of money on it or you think, well, I want to get my money's worth, but you're not using it. They they used a very similar um, analogy of you spent the money the, the second you... Yes. You, it's done. You, you're not getting yes. more for your money. It's actually hindering you. And but we've uh, all done that. Like I've had like an expensive pair of shoes and it's like, I can't get rid of them for like five years, even though I'm not yes. wearing them during those five years and somebody else could be wearing them while they're still like in, in good fashion and they're in great shape. But I hang on to them like as if I'm sort of using them up just by owning them. It's, it, but it's, it is completely irrational. And that is a great way to think about it. The moment of purchase is the moment of complete transaction. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but again, I think this comes from a, a, a good aspect of human nature, which is I think we do take pleasure in using things up. Like, it's very common for people to say like, oh, I spent so much on this jacket, but I've worn this jacket so much. It's like, if I thought of like how much I spent per, per use, it's like one penny because, I, you know, I've, I've got so much good value out of it. I think we take pleasure in putting possessions to good use. Like there's a feeling of, 
well, there's a feeling of like respect for the object. Like I, this thing is being used and also kind of like to ourselves, we made good choices and we're, we're putting things to use and we are getting value. Um, and that is a very pleasant feeling. Um, but it can like lead us down these irrational things when we're like, well, I, can I use it up by just keeping it? Mm. Um, yeah. And then like with gifts, sometimes I'll say to myself, well, I could wear these socks one time and, and then be like, no, I don't like these. Or I could just say like, I know from right now that I don't like these socks and I could give them away with like still with the label on them, clearly never used. And somebody else will be much more likely to buy them because they're, they're in perfect condition and they're clearly fresh and new. Mm. So why would I wear them one time to just kind of symbolically pass on them, you know, or to be like, Oh, I acknowledge your gift by wearing these socks one time. I'm like, no, they're more valuable to somebody else given that I am not going to use them. You know, sometimes you tell right away, you're like, eh, that's not going to work for me. Like leave it pristine because then it's, because as you say, you can let it go and be more useful for someone else. Well also, yeah, it's that thing of politeness of not wanting to appear ungrateful, but actually the greater good is passing it on in great condition. Well, this is one thing that Marie Kondo talks about that I think is really helpful, um, is that sometimes we get a gift and we want to hang on to it because we don't want to disrespect, show disrespect to the giver, or we don't want to seem ungrateful or be ungrateful. And her point that I thought was very well taken is that this, this pair of socks that I don't like has already served its purpose, which is you wanted to make a gesture to me to show me affection or show me respect or show me gratitude. And by receiving that gift, that gift has already achieved that because I am like, you know, I'm not going to wear these socks, but I really appreciate that you gave them to me. Like the gift has done its work. And now the actual sock, the fate of the actual socks doesn't really matter. Right. So like, let's get the socks figured out because the gift is already, it's already had its, it's already served its purpose, which is really just to embody, um, uh, an exchange of emotion between two people. Um, and I, cause I think sometimes people want to keep things just because they feel like, well, I have to just out of like respect, but it's like, you don't, you don't really have to have the thing to, you know, that's kind of beside the point. Mm. You mentioning Marie Kondo, she uses the phrase, if it doesn't spark joy, but I must admit Gretchen, not displaying favoritism to a two-time guest of the podcast. But yeah. I do like the way you say, if it energizes you, if it, if it brings you energy, then maybe yes. it, you, you do it in slightly different terms, don't you? Yeah, because I, I don't know, but for me, and I think for a lot of people, spark joy is a pretty high bar. I feel like there's a lot of things that don't, I wouldn't say spark joy that I feel like are worth keeping and that I do need and use. And mm-hmm. so... And then you could get, I, I tried, when I was trying to use that phrase for myself, I was like, well, I could say, well, this, this pair of, you know, um, you know, this container doesn't really spark joy, but you know, it's useful. And, 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 and thing, anything that's useful kind of brings me joy because it makes my life easier. And I'm like, but that's kind of twisting the meaning of joy to such a degree that it doesn't even mean joy anymore. I mean, I think she's really taught and, you know, she really talks about like getting a zing of joy from it. I just don't have that kind of emotional reaction to most of my possessions. Uh, so for me, it's energy is more like, does this help me live my life the way I want? Like, Maybe I don't, maybe this container isn't particularly, you know, great, but like, here's a good example. When we were, when I first married my husband, we somehow acquired these baskets. They're like these woven baskets that fit on a shelf. I've never really liked these baskets, 
Um, I don't even remember how we got them, but they're super useful. We use them. We put things in them. Things go in. Things go out. They sort of fit just right. And I'm like, do they spark joy? Because I'm always like, eh, I don't really love those baskets. I wish they looked different. But I'm like, but they're super useful. I use them all the time. So am I going to get rid of them? I'm like, and then go out and buy new ones. I'm like, eh, I'm not at that level. Like, I'm just, they're fine. Yeah. You know, since I'm an underbuyer, I'm like, why am I going to buy something? I, I just don't even want to go deal with it. I'm like, then I'd have to go pick something out. Would I end up liking it better? I just use the baskets I've already got. Well, that's you know? interesting because they're, you know, it's, eh. Because they're serving a function. Well, and they energize me because I'm like, I want to put this away. Oh, I know I have the perfect basket because here are these baskets that just are very good at serving their purpose. Like, to me, it's energizing to just be able to, like, I can get this done right now. I don't have to, like, there's no errand. Like, I just, this is done. So I find, like, they energize me even though I wouldn't say that they spark joy. Now, but what if, and I'm not projecting onto you here, Gretchen, although I may be a little bit, what if you go into a homeware store and you go and see all the organizing cabinets and containers and everything and you really do feel a spark of joy, <laughs> even though they might not be functional or practical in your home? But that is a thing, isn't it? We, uh, so many of my friends and I all get a bit of a contact high from yes. going into shops where organizing uh, products and services are yes. available. I know. I kind of like to walk through there and just look at it. I never want to buy anything because I think I am an underbuyer, but I like looking at it because it does offer up this. You, you do feel like everything in your life could be perfectly organized and it just feels very exciting. Mm. Um, I think you have to be very wary of that. I mean, because the thing about, especially things about storage and stuff, first of all, you don't want to, you don't want to buy things that are just going to allow you to jam more clutter into the same space. So you could buy some box that like slides perfectly under your bed and then you fill it full of stuff and you never look at it again for 10 years. That's not helpful. Um, yeah, you've put some stuff away, but you should have just got rid of that stuff. Um, because you don't need it. You don't use it. You don't love it. Like storing things is often just a way to, uh, to avoid making decisions about what to do with it. So you're often better saying like, well, I don't need to store this. I need to get this stuff out because you know, I, I, I don't need it. But then, it, then there's stuff like holiday decorations or seasonal clothes where you do have to store it and you will get it out again. So it's like it is that – is, that is truly useful. The thing is if, if you go into one of those stores and you don't know what you need, you're very likely to make a mistake. You buy things that are the wrong size because when you see things out of context, you're like, oh, this looks like it will fit. And then you get it home and you're like, this is like three times too big. Like I did not – so you need measurements and you need to know what you need. Um uh, and so I would be, especially if you're susceptible to that kind of thing, really try to have a list and say like, I want a wastebasket that will fit in this space, which is this inches by this inches by this inches and really go in and look for it rather than wander up and down the aisles and think like, Oh, does anything here look like something I could use? Um, because that is when you start buying, Oh, I'll get this like tabletop plastic set of sliding sh drawers. Cause like, I'll just put this on my desk. It'll be so great. And then you're like, what fits in here? Paper clips. Like, I don't need a whole thing for paper clips. Like they're already in like a thing in my, in my drawer. I don't like why. And now I've got this whole tower of shelves, which nothing fits into, <laughs> you know, you really need to, to know what you need. Yeah. Cause otherwise you are buying for a fantasy life and you do talk about that, which is just nailed it for me of buying for the, the version of you that actually doesn't really exist. 
Yes. And that's so easy to do and it can be fun to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, you really have to stay, um, focused on what you are going to actually use. And some people fall, I think even unconsciously into the trap of thinking like, well, I want a certain behavior. So if I buy the stuff associated with that behavior, then I will inevitably sort of be forced to do it. So if I buy a treadmill, I will have to, I will exercise. Or if I buy a cookbook and like some fancy knives and some fancy pans, then I will cook. No, <laughs> no, you can exercise, exercise first. And then you're like, oh, this would really solve a problem for me. Or like if you're cooking and you're like, oh, wow, I really need some new vegetarian recipes. Um, wait for the desire, the specific desire to be activated before you buy all the stuff, because that is the best way to buy a bunch of, to buy a bunch of stuff you don't need, don't use, don't love is to, um, buy into something. And there's, it's fun to buy. I mean, people who loved, um, like crafts, um, I'll I'll talk about this all the time. It's so much fun to go to a beautiful store and buy gorgeous yarn or paint or beads or paper, um, that they end up with these giant stores because it's so much fun to buy it, but it's so much easier to buy it that then, you know, you can buy yarn all day long, but then how long does it take you to sit down and knit a blanket? Mm. It takes a while. <laughs> um, so you can really, I, I, I feel the same way about books. If I'm not careful, like I'll just have stacks and stacks and stacks of books because I love to go buy them, but you can buy them much quicker than you can read them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to like maintain that really say to yourself, I need to use up what I have uh, before I'm going to allow myself the fun of going out and uh, and buying more. You say something that made me laugh out loud about that whole situation, which is if you go into a store and you see something you like, but you think, hey, I might not have the room for it or I might not need it right now. Don't worry, the store will hang on to it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just store it at the store. Um, yeah, they've had it put away very nicely. Yeah, store it at the store. Yeah, that's good for people who kind of have preparatory clutter or anticipatory clutter. Oh, what a uh, anticipatory and pre- pre- what is it? Preparatory tr- uh, clutter. Yeah, it's like people people who are like, oh, I, I might need this. You know, I uh, might need a birthday present. I might need mittens. Um, I might need measuring cups. Um, then you're like, well, store it at the store. And then if you need measuring cups, you could go get them. You know, if you need that plastic container, like look at that plastic container that could go on your desk that you could put stuff in and just be like, okay, for now I'm going to store it at the store. I'm going to go back to my desk. And if I feel like I need it, I can go back for it. You know, instead of being like, Oh, I should just go ahead and get this. Cause I bet I could, I bet I will be able to find a use for it. It's like maybe, but maybe not, you know, a lot of times things, we don't need them as much as we think, or they're not as useful as we think. Mm-hmm. One thing I think is super useful is hooks. Oh my gosh. Best money I ever spent. In my family, nobody hangs things up on hangers. Like it's just like a tremendous problem for with coats, but people use hooks. And when we added hooks to our closets, like the amount of coats that were just draped over every surface diminished dramatically. Um, so sometimes you can really invest in something that will be enough more convenient that it will really change people's behavior. But you really want to think that through mm-hmm. and not just kind of buy things willy nilly and assume that they are going to. Um, achieve that for you. Yes. What is, um, procrastinating, Gretchen? Ooh, procrastinating. This is when people's procrastination takes the form of clutter clearing. 
you know, when you're like, well, I really need to get started on this book, um, but I feel like I need to go through every bookshelf in my house before I can start, you know, or I need to vacuum every surface or I need to go through my files. And it's like, well, going through your files has nothing to do with starting your book. And it's been like that for five years and it's never bothered you before. So why now do you feel like it's urgent? Um, the way in retrospect to know for sure if it was procrastinating clearing is does the urge to do that clearing completely vanish the minute that you've, you've accomplished the task? Uh, because often you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I just can't live another day with the filing cabinets the way they are. But then I do that. I write that horrible email that I've been putting off and then I'm like, no, I'm okay with the filing cabinet. It's fine. You know, that's procrastinating clearing. Um, there may be people listening to this podcast who think, well, I'm fairly tidy. I've got my clutter together. I know what my situation is, but I live with someone who's messy. Yes. Um, yes. Do you have any tips on how to make a messy person become neater or more organized? So here is the first step. And it's not what most people want to hear or expect to hear. But if you are the neat one and you want a messy person to be more neat, the first thing you should do is searchingly and relentlessly and honestly create outer order with your within your own things. So if I'm annoyed by your closet, what does my closet look like? If I'm annoyed by, you know, some, and often our clutter seems fine to us, but other people's clutter is very annoying. It's like, yes, I've been working on this thousand piece puzzle on the dining room table for six months. I'm fine with that. But you left crumbs on the kitchen counter today and we can't live like barbarians. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, um, and so I think, so a lot of things happen. If you clear, if you, if you create outer order with the th- within the things that are within your control, first of all, often like the visual noise will often, you usually have a lot more clutter than you realize. That's the thing. You think you're neat. How neat are you really? Because people, there are people that I know when they're like, well, I'm the neat one. And I'm like, uh, in what sense would you say that you're neat? Because I am not particularly picking up a neat vibe from you. (laughs) Uh, Often people feel like they're neat, but you know, how neat are you? So really get that outer order within your own stuff. That will cause visual noise to drop. That will cause, and often it will open up opportunities too, because like I was talking to a guy who was complaining because he couldn't sit down at the kitchen table and do household tasks because his wife always left the kitchen so messy. And then I was like, but then I talked to him a bit. It turned out he had an office. Like, well, why aren't you in your office doing these tasks? He's like, oh, my office is too messy. I'm like, well, clean up your own office before you say that like you're, you know, (laughs) <laughs> that means, you know, so clean up your own stuff. And then also often um, when we create outer order within the things within our control, you see opportunities too. It's like, well, maybe I can't put it away here, but I could put it away there. Because now that I've cleared all this clutter, um, like pl- places are opening up, things are opening up. Sometimes messy people often will become less messy because it's easier for them to put things away. Or, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm neat. But what they mean is I'm neat with my things, but I'm not really particularly taking it, making an effort to create uh, order within our mutual space, even though I know that the messy one will never do it. So it's like, Uh okay, are you going through, if you're the neat one, you have to be the one who's like, why don't we go through all the plastic containers and like get rid of the ones that don't have a lid and get rid of the ones that are just kind of nasty. Let's match them up and put them away in a basket so we can find them easily with the lids and the baskets all put together. It's like, you kind of need to take the lead on that. And you just saying like, well, I'm the one who's closing the kitchen cabinet doors. You're not tackling 
what would make it easier for the messy person to be less messy overall, which is like when, when, when you don't have 50 unmatched plastic containers, you have 15 well-matched plastic containers that are in a basket. That's easy for a messy person to handle and to kind of maintain. Mm-hmm. Whereas otherwise they're just like, Oh, who cares about the plastic container? You know? And it's just, so I, I think the neat, neat ones have to be a little bit more, um, and I say this is a neat one myself. I think we have to be a little less self-satisfied and a little bit more self-searching. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I, my office, I thought my office was really cleared out. My daughter, my daughter's ruthless. <laughs> um, it's not her stuff, too. We got rid of three huge bags of stuff. And I have a tiny office, which I thought was already clear. Mm. It's like when another, another person came in here, she was like, why do you have this? Why do you have that? You've got 10 empty notebook binders. Why do you have that? I'm like, well, they're just good. And she's like, but you only need like two. You know, if you need a binder, you've got a binder, you've got two binders, you don't need 12 binders, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, usually we have a lot more low hanging fruit than we think. It's true. Do you have any tips for, um, creating or sustaining out of order when one travels? Cause that can be where we sometimes get derailed. Yes. One thing is my something I love is I call it the bowl of requirement because I was inspired by Harry Potter's room of requirement, which is the magical room that turns itself to whatever you need. Um, so the bowl of requirement, because I think you're exactly right. When we travel, like we don't have the place where we put our keys. We don't have the place where we put our sunglasses because everything is is because we're traveling and everything's mm-hmm. new. So I create a bowl or a tray. Um, and for myself or if I'm, I'm traveling with my family, it's all together where anything that we need to keep track of goes there. Room keys, maps, sunglasses, sunscreen, AirPods, phones, loose change, foreign currency, anything like that. It's just like put it there because that way it's easy to find. And then mm-hmm. if you find something like in some weird place, like, oh, I wonder why my daughter's sunglasses are on this window ledge of this, you know, randomly in the hotel, it's like, Oh, they don't belong there. Let me put them in the bowl. And that way, um, because when, because then you don't spend all that time, like search, you know, hotel keys are so easy to misplace. Cause they're like flat and inconspicuous. Mm-hmm. Like you just stick them in a pocket. You never, fi- you know, it takes hours to find them. Just put train yourself, anything that I need to keep track of, put it in this one central place. And, um, it just makes it a lot easier. So much easier. I'm kind of upset that you mentioned Harry Potter before I did, because that was my next question about the bowl of requirement. Yes. <laughs> Are you a Harry Potter fan? Well, yes. And um, well, our time together has drawn to a brief, a, a, a brief, a brisk end. I can't believe we've been talking for this long. Um, and my, one of the things I was going to ask you, because last time we spoke, Fantastic Be- Beasts wasn't out and we were talking about children's literature. Have you seen Fantastic Beasts? You know, I have not. Have you? I, I mean, do you recommend it? I have, but I know you. Well, are you a Harry Potter purist, would you say? I think I am kind of a purist. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I am, and sort of the hard, hardest core Harry Potter fans are sort of not such huge fans of that. So mm-hmm. I think that made me. I did see the play, oh, which did. is sort of like half canon. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I enjoyed it, but I didn't, it felt on the on the fringes so I guess I see them as two completely different things um but I just was curious because I know that you really like um yes. the books huge fan huge fan yeah and you have next time you're over in the UK I know you're not over um on this particular um part of the tour but you know they've recreated Gringotts at the studios <gasps> wonderful <laughs> 
know that. I have been on the studio tour, but I, it did not have Green Guts. No, okay. I, I think it opens very, very soon. So, um, brand new. Oh, wow. Yes. I definitely, that will be a stop for sure. Out in the studio, the big studio that's a little way out of London at that place. That place, exactly. So, uh, oh. yeah, if you need someone to tag along, I'll get the butterbeer. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Oh, 100%. I feel like we could talk all day. This has been so much fun. We absolutely could. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, listeners, all the links to Gretchen and the book will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode. But for now, Gretchen Rubin, thank you so much and goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before you go, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with me, it couldn't be easier. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I respond to all messages personally. Or you can also slide into my DMs on social media. I'm at Emma Guns on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And you can also click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming, downloading or listening to this podcast. And click the link to the closed Facebook group where not only me, but lots of other listeners are having discussions about this podcast, other podcasts and many other things. So please do join if you're interested in joining that community. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.